Chapter 15 of The City of Fire by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 For one instant, Lynn stood against the closed door, flaming with anger, her eyes flashing fire as they well knew how to flash at times. Then suddenly her lips set close in a fine control, the fire died out of her eyes, she drew a deep breath, and a quick whimsical smile lighted up her face, which nevertheless did not look in the least like one subdued. "'You know, I could get very angry at that if I chose, and we'd have all kinds of a disagreeable time, but I think it would be a little pleasanter for us both if you would cut that out, don't you?' She said it in a cool little voice that sounded like one in entire command of the situation, and Opal turned around and stared at her admiringly. Then she laughed one of her wild, silvery laughs that made them say she had a lute-like voice and sauntered over toward her hostess. "'You certainly are a queer girl,' she commented. "'I suppose it would be better to be friends, inasmuch as we're to be roommates. Will you smoke with me?' And out from the depths of a beaded affair that was a part of her frock and yet looked more like a bag than a pocket, she drew forth a gold cigarette case and held it out. Marilyn controlled the growing contempt in her face and answered with spirit, "'No, I don't smoke, and you won't smoke either. Not in here. I'm sorry to seem inhospitable, but we don't do things like that around here, and if you have to smoke, you'll have to go outdoors.' "'Oh, really?' Opal arched her already permanently arched, plucked brows and laughed again. "'Well, you certainly have lots of pep. I believe I'm going to like you. Let's sit down and you tell me about yourself.' Why don't you tell me about yourself, hedged Marilyn, relaxing into a chair and leaving the deep leather one for her guest. I'm really a very simple affair, just a country girl very glad to get home after four years at college. There's nothing complex and nothing to tell, I assure you. You're entirely too sophisticated for all that simplicity, declared Opal. I suppose it's college that has given you so much poise. But why aren't you impressed with Lori? Simply everybody is impressed with Lori. I don't believe you even know who he is. Lynn laughed. How should I? And what difference would it make anyway? As for being impressed, he gave me the impression of a very badly spoiled boy out trying to have his own way and making a great fuss because he couldn't get it. And you didn't know that his father is William J. Shafton, the multimillionaire? Opal brought the words out like little sharp points that seemed to glitter affluently as she spoke them. No, said Marilyn. I didn't know. But it doesn't matter. We hadn't anything better to offer him than we've given, and I don't know why I should have been impressed by that. A man is what he is, isn't he? Not what his father is. He isn't your brother, is he? I was over at the church when you arrived and didn't hear the introductions. I didn't even get your name. Opal laughed uproariously as if the subject were overwhelmingly amusing. No, she said, recovering. I'm just Opal. Fire Opal, they call me sometimes, and Opalescence. That's Lori's name for me, although lately he's taken to call me Effervescence. No, he's not my brother, little simple lady. He's just one of my friends. Now don't look shocked. I'm a naughty married lady run off on a spree for a little fun. Marilyn regarded her thoughtfully. Now stop looking at me with those solemn eyes. Tell me what you were thinking about me. I'd lots rather hear it. It would be something original, I'm sure. You're nothing if not original. "'I was just wondering why,' said Marilyn, still thoughtfully. "'Why what?' "'Why? Why you did it? 
why you wanted to be that kind of a married woman when the real kind is so much more beautiful and satisfactory. What do you know about it? blazed Opal. You've never been married, have you? My mother has had such a wonderful life with my father, and my father with my mother. Opal stared at her amazed for an instant, then shrugged her shoulders lightly. Oh, that, she said and laughed disagreeably. If one wants to be a saint, perhaps, but there aren't many men saints, I can tell you. You haven't seen my husband, or you wouldn't talk like that. Imagine living a saintly life with Ed Varens. But, my dear, wait till you're married. You won't talk that rubbish any more. I shall never marry unless I can, said Lynn decidedly. It would be terrible to marry someone I could not love and trust. Oh, love, said Opal contemptuously. You can love anyone you want to for a little while. Love doesn't last. It's just a play you soon get tired to death of. But if that's the way you feel, don't pin your trust and your love, as you call it, to that princely icicle we saw down on the lawn. He's seen more of the world than you know. I saw it in his eyes. There, now don't set your eyes to blazing again. I won't mention him any more tonight. And don't worry about me. I'm going to be good and run back tomorrow morning in time to meet my dear old hubby in the evening when he gets back from a week's fishing in the Adirondacks, and he'll never guess what a frolic I've had. But you certainly do amuse me with your indifference. Wait till Lori gets in some of his work on you. I can see he's crazy already about you, and if I don't decide to carry him off with me in the morning, I'll miss my guess if he doesn't show you how altogether charming the son of William J. Shafton can be. He never failed to have a girl fall for him yet, not one that he went after, and he's been after a good many girls, I can tell you. Lynn arose suddenly, her chin a bit high, a light of determination in her eyes. She felt herself growing angry again. Come and look at my view of the moon on the valley, she said suddenly, pulling aside the soft scrim curtain and letting in a flood of moonlight. Here, I'll turn out the light so you can see better. Isn't that beautiful? She switched off the lights and the stranger drew nearer apathetically, gazing out into the beauty of the moonlight as it touched the houses half hidden in the trees and vines and flooded the valley stretching far away to the feet of the tall, dark mountains. I hate mountains, shuddered Opal. They make me afraid. I almost ran over a precipice when I was coming here yesterday. If I have to go back that same way, I shall take Lori, or if he won't go, I'll cajole that stunning prince of yours, if you don't mind. I loathe being alone. That's why I ran down here to see Lori. But Lynn had switched on the lights and turned from the window. Her face was cold and her voice hard. Suppose we go to bed, she said. Will you have the bed next to the window or the door? And what shall I get for you? Have you everything? See, here is the bathroom. Father and mother had it built for me for my birthday. And the furniture is some of mother's grandmothers. They had it done over for me. It's really a dandy room, said Opal admiringly. I hadn't expected to find anything like this, she added without seeming to know she was patronizing. You are the only child, aren't you? Your father and mother just dote on you, too. That must be nice. We had a whole houseful at home, three girls and two boys, and after father lost his money and had to go to a sanitarium, we had frightful times, never any money to buy anything, the girls always fighting over who should have silk stockings, and mother crying every night when we learned to smoke. Of course, mother was old-fashioned. I hated to have her weeping around all the time, but all our sets smoked, and what could I do? So I just took the first good chance to get married and got out of it all. And Ed isn't so bad. Lots of men are worse. And he gives me all the money I want. One thing the girls don't have to fight over silk stockings and silk petticoats anymore. I send them all they want. And I manage to get my good times in now and then, too. But tell me, 
What in the world do you do in this sleepy little town? Don't you get bored to death? I should think you'd get your father to move to the city. There must be plenty of churches where a good-looking minister like your father could get a much bigger salary than out here in the country like this. When I get back to New York, I'll send for you to visit me and show you a real good time. I suppose you've never been to cabarets and eaten theater suppers and seen a real New York good time. Why, last winter I had an affair that was talked of in the papers for days. I had the whole lower floor decorated as a wood, you know, with real trees set up and mossy banks and a brook running through it all. It took days for the plumbers to get the fittings in, and then they put stones in the bottom and goldfish and planted violets on the banks and all kinds of ferns and lilies of the valley. Everywhere there were flowers blossoming so the guests could pick as many as they wanted. The stream was deep enough to float little canoes, and they stopped in grottoes for champagne, and when they came to a shallow place, they had to get out and take off their shoes and stockings and wade in the brook. On the opposite bank, a maid was wading with towels. The ladies sat down on the bank, and their escorts had to wipe their feet and help them on with their shoes and stockings again, and you ought to have heard the shouts of laughter. It certainly was a great time. Upstairs in the ballroom, we had garden walks all about, with all kinds of flowers growing and real birds flying around, and the walls were simply covered with American beauty roses and wonderful climbers, in such bowers that the air was heavy with perfume. The flowers alone cost thousands. What's the matter? Did you hear something fall? You startled me, jumping up like that. You're nervous, aren't you? Don't you think music makes people nervous? Marilyn smiled pathetically and dropped back to the edge of her bed. Pardon me, she said. I was just in one of my tempers again. I get them a lot, but I'm trying to control them. I happened to think of the little babies I saw in the tenement districts when I was in New York last. Did you ever go there? They wear one little garment and totter around in the cold street trying to play with no stockings and shoes out of the toes. Sometimes they haven't enough to eat, and their mothers are so wretchedly poor and sorrowful. Mercy, shuddered Opal. How morbid you are! Whatever did you go to a place like that for? I always keep as far away from unpleasant things as I can. I cross the street if I see a blind beggar ahead. I just loathe misery. But however did you happen to think of them when I was telling you about my beautiful ballroom decorations? Lynn twinkled. I guess you wouldn't understand me, she said slowly. But I was thinking of all the good those thousands of dollars would have done if they had been spent on babies and not on flowers. "'Gracious,' said Opal, "'I hate babies. "'Ed is crazy about them and would like to have the house full, "'but I gave him to understand what I thought about that before we were married.' "'I love babies,' said Marilyn. "'They want me to go this fall and do some work in that settlement, "'and I'm considering it. "'If it only weren't for leaving father and mother again. "'But I do love the babies and the little children. "'I want to gather them all and do so many things for them.' You know they are all God's babies, and it seems pitiful for them to have to be in such a dreadful world as some of them have. Oh, God, shuddered Opal quite openly now. Don't talk about God. I hate God. He's just killed one of my best men friends. I wish you wouldn't talk about God. Marilyn looked at her sadly, contemplatively, and then twitched her mouth into a little smile. We're not getting on very well, are we? I don't like your costly entertainments, and you don't like my best friend. I'm sorry, I must seem a little prude to you, I'm afraid, but really, God is not what you think. You wouldn't hate him, you would love him, if you knew him. Fancy knowing God, as you would your other friends. How dreadful! Let's go to bed. 
Opal began to let out her lovely brushes and toilet paraphernalia, and Lynn let down her wonderful golden mane and began to brush it, looking exquisite in a little blue dimity kimono, delicately edged with Valenciennes. Opal made herself radiant in a rose chiffon in old point negligee and went through numerous gyrations relating to the complexion, complaining meanwhile of the lack of a maid. But after the lights were out, and Lynn, kneeling silently by her bed in the moonlight, Opal lay on the other bed and watched her wonderingly, and when a few minutes later, Marilyn rose softly and crept into bed as quietly as possible, lest she disturb her guest, Opal spoke, "'I wonder what you would do if a man, the man you liked best in all the world, had got killed doing something to please you. It makes you go crazy when you think of it, someone you've danced with lying dead that way all alone.' I wonder what you'd do. Lynn brought her mind back from her own sorrows and prayers with a jerk to the problem of this strange guest. She did not answer for a moment, then she said very slowly, I think, I don't know, but I think I should go right to God and ask him what to do. I think nobody else could show what ought to be done. There wouldn't be anything else to do. Oh, murder, said Opal, turning over in bed quickly and hiding her face in the pillow, and there was in the end of her breath just the suggestion of a shriek of fear. But far, far into the night, Marilyn lay on her sleepless pillow, her heart crying out to God, Oh, save Mark! Take care of Mark! Show him the way back again! Afar in the great city a message stole on a wire through the night, and presently the great presses were hot with its import, printing thousands and thousands of extras for early morning consumption, with headlines in enormous letters across the front page. Lawrence Shafton, son of William J. Shafton, kidnapped. Mrs. Shafton is lying in nervous collapse as a result of threats from kidnappers who boldly called her up on the phone and demanded a king's ransom, threatening death to the son if the plot was revealed before ten o'clock this morning. The faithful mother gathered her treasures, which included the famous Shafton emeralds, and a string of pearls worth a hundred thousand dollars, and let them down from her window as directed, and then fainted, knowing nothing more till her maid, hearing her fall, rushed into the room and found her unconscious." When roused, she became hysterical and told what had happened. Then, remembering the threat of death for telling ahead of time, she became crazy with grief, and it was almost impossible to soothe her. The maid called her family physician, explaining all she knew, and the matter was at once put into the hands of capable detectives, who were doing all they know how to locate the missing son, who has been gone only since Saturday evening, and also to find the missing jewels and other property, and it is hoped that before evening the young man will be found. Meantime, Lawrence Shafton slept soundly and late in the minister's study and knew nothing of the turmoil and sorrow of his doting family. End of chapter 15